Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. So I know, I know that you're sleepy and tired, lost that hour, so we're going to play a game to begin with, all right? All right. First picture, if we could have it, please. I'm going to show you this picture, and you tell me what it is. I apologize in advance to those who are accessing the audio only, but the game will not be lost on you. This is picture number one. It's a gentleman with some sort of bendable stick. He's wearing a hat and a vest and standing in water with rubber boots. He is a what? He's a fisherman, specifically a fly fisherman. But you must also know, next slide, That this is a fisherman. P-H-I-S-H-E-R-M-A-N. In today's world, someone who is fishing is not likely standing in water. They are trying to acquire your bank account or personal information. Next slide. So what we have on the screen here, again for you that are listening to the audio, a multicolored little thing with some hair on top and some googly button eyes attached to it, some kind of accessory. What is this? It's a puppet, but what kind? A sock puppet. A sock puppet. This too, next slide, is also a sock puppet. A sock puppet is someone online who is controlled or employed by another to spread misinformation or disinformation on the internet or someone with a false identity. How many of you had ever heard of a sock puppet till now? How many of you can say sock puppet? Because apparently I can't. Three. What is this? Little metallic guy. It's a robot. We can call it a bot for short. Next slide. This is also a bot. It is a little helping piece of AI software that when you go on to your insurance company or wherever and you have questions, they say, oh, I'm here to help. That is not a person on the other side. It's a robot. It's a piece of software that you are communicating with. Number four. It is a sea lion. Next slide. This is also a sea lion. Now, you may not have heard of this one. But a sea lion is an insincere individual hiding behind his or her screen, intentionally engaging in controversial conversation while all the time being nice, but being disingenuous, spreading false information, and generally proving to be impossible to deal with. You're getting a great internet education this morning. And last, this ugly green gargoyle-looking thing, hideous, some Nordic demon from the underworld living under a bridge. It is a what? It is a troll. And this is also a troll. Quote, 
An internet troll is someone who makes intentionally inflammatory, rude, or upsetting statements online to elicit strong emotional responses in people. Don't be a troll. A troll is there to annoy. They refuse clear evidence presented to them. They are patronizing and snotty. They refuse anything that calms the waters. They disrupt. They are... They, They live literally to turn your screw. And emerging psychological studies prove that such individuals with these kind of behaviors online are in fact sadistic, Machiavellian, and possibly psychotic. They hide behind their little digital screens and they become disinhibited. A new word for your lectionary in the 21st century. It's what happens to people when they act and talk and behave without their true identity being known. We all act differently online if we are anonymous. We all have troll-like abilities. Here's a painting by Britton Ravier. A hundred years before the proliferation of the internet, it captures the practice of trolling perfectly. Completely out of reach from any and all consequences, the troll lives to torment and foment his targets. They take the greatest pleasure from causing others to suffer or simply exhaust themselves. It's worth taking a minute with that picture for sure. And if you are listening, the painting is entitled, Aggravation, produced in 1896. Aggravation. That might be as apropos description for online engagement in the decade that is the 2020s. Trolls, sea lions, bots, sock puppets, fishing. The dangers are everywhere and the aggravation is unending. You have to be careful. You have to protect yourself. Protect your financial, financial information. Your digital identity. Protect your children's identity. Protect your parents' identity, for God's sakes. Studies from the Scientific American show that we all become more militant online. And when we find our way to a hostile online environment, we all grow more hostile as a result. It's a kind of negativity contagion, a disease that takes over our minds. And it is so, so easy to be nasty online. Yes, because there is some distance between us and our targets. Because consequences are avoidable. Yes, because hostility breeds hostility. But also because we all get a little more trollish when we write something instead of saying something. Because you will write something and there is no one there to interrupt you. (laughs) So you just let it all hang out. And plus you don't have to look the person in the eye. To whom you're writing. Have you noticed that people will write things in an email. That they would never say to you personally. Amen. But you know what. It's obvious that preachers of the past. Never had a point of reference. For anything that I am talking about today. And nor did I. Two decades ago. It's a new challenge. But it's nothing new. Our words. Our ability to hurt others with our words or to be hurt by the words of others is as old as language itself. Trolling might be what it's called today, but it's been around a long, long time. James in the New Testament says this. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. 
And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. But the tongue, how a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. The tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Written about 2,000 years before the invention of the internet. James was repeating the wisdom of his Hebrew roots from the Proverbs. A few selections from the Proverbs for you this morning as well. Some people make cutting remarks, but the word of the wise brings healing. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A truly wise person uses few words. And I like this one right here. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. (laughs) Watch your tongue. Keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. It's perennial wisdom. When it comes to talking, less is more. If you can't say something nice, better be silent and thought of a fool than to open your mouth and remove all previous doubts. Simplification is still the order of the day today, the topic of today's talk, the last in this series And nowhere is simplification more applicable, nowhere can it be more readily applied than when it comes to our speech, our words. Spoken, written, hurled as darts with the intention of causing pain, blasted out, trolling in the comments section, in the heat of the battle, saying things that we can never pull back. Hear the voice of wisdom. A truly wise person uses few words. Keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. I began this series with Thoreau at Walden Pond. Why did he go to the woods? He says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to to die, discover that I had not lived. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow Our life is frittered away by details. The unwieldy and overgrown establishment cluttered and tripped up by our own traps. Ruined by luxury and heedless expense. And the only cure is simplicity of life and elevation of purpose. Simplify. Simplify. Why do we simplify? For clarity. For purpose. For finding the liberation to truly live, from our perception of success, to how we spend our time, to how we use our resources, to our relationships, necessary boundaries, simplification is required, and so much more so when it comes to our speech. I not only began with Henry David Thoreau eight weeks ago, I began in the Psalms, and here it is that I return. Today though, Psalm 19, 1 through 4 and verse 14, it's a reoccurring uh, reading from the Revised Common Lectionary, one that pops up often. The inspiration, by the way, of the hymn, How Great Thou Art. It begins with this thunderous announcement that God's world speaks. And it ends with the hope, a prayer of sorts, that our words, when we speak, will be appropriate. It concludes with the knowledge that our words 
can be best formed and best shaped by taking the time first to listen to God's magnificent creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, it says. Day after day, the heavens continue to speak. Night after night, the skies make God known. And it's not just the skies. It's the trees, it's the moon, it's the sunrise, the beach, the mountains, everything that surrounds us. Creation is speaking to us about the glory and wonder of God. Do we have ears to hear what that world is telling us? The world speaks, it sings, it whispers, sometimes it shouts, pointing us to what William James called the wondrous more. What Paul Tillich described as being itself, the very ground and power and essence of all that exists. Scientific proof that God exists? Absolutely not. No such evidence can ever be presented. This is a faith claim assumed by the biblical writer. He looks out at the world and comes to the conclusion that, quote, there is a grandeur to this life having been originally breathed by the Creator, and this planet cycles toward the most beautiful and the most wonderful. Do you know who said that? Charles Darwin said that. He said it in Origin of Species, a book that's very easy for Christians to dismiss, though few Christians have ever read it. See, even the most scientific minds, not all of them, even the most critical critics, no, not all of them, often must leave space and place for the wondrous more that divine creation speaks of. The absolute marvel of nature, the sheer wonder of it all, the glorious diversity, the beauty of the universe, it speaks to us in a way that not even the Bible can speak to us sometimes. And that's not a low view of Scripture. It's simply saying that for most of us, before we could even read, the first Bible that we read might have been a sunrise or a sunset or something beautiful in God's creation that struck us, even as we were children, that there has to be something more to this world. Rise early. That was no problem today. And watch the sun come up. That was no problem today either. Where was the sun when we rose? If you get up early and watch the sun come up over the horizon. Stay up late. Look at the stars spilled out across a black sky. Count the different colors in a springtime sunset. Find a mountain. It doesn't have to be the tallest in the world. Find one. Climb to the top of it if you can. And take it all in. Look at the images captured by the Hubble telescope. Look at the world hiding on the other side of a stereo microscope. It's almost as infinite as outer space, it seems. Look at the flowers planted in little pots on your back porch. Observe every petal, every leaf. Hold a newborn baby in your arms. Watch snow fall silently on an evergreen forest. Look closely if there's ever frost on your window in your windshield and look at the artistic intricate design of even how the ice runs across a surface. Have you ever seen the magnified image of a dragonfly's eye? Have you ever seen the ripples across the Sahara Desert? 
the terrifying magnitude of a redwood tree, how Venus and Jupiter hold true and bright on a cold winter's night. Have you listened to a whippoorwill early in the morning or late at night as dusk descends? Have you heard a million tree frogs in chorus around a springtime rain? Have you ever seen an emerald sea turtle wash up with brilliant eyes on a snow-white beach? Have you ever seen a halo of rainbows fill the sky? Sit in the splendor of these things. And you will find yourself growing quieter by the moment. A reason that we have created such a noisy, chatty world within and without is that we have lost contact with the green, with nature, with the original communication of God's wonder, love, and grace. And we desperately need to be shocked into silence by looking out at God's natural world and looking less into our digital world or our social media world or our constantly connected world. We would listen more and say less if we just went wild for a spell. If we got dirt under our fingernails again. If we walked barefoot across green grass, if we heard God speaking, though God may never make a sound, in the wilderness and in the wind, the sky and the sand, the mountains in the morning, then our own words, our own meditations would certainly begin to align themselves in a pleasing, God-honoring way. Humanity needs something larger than itself, something infinite, let's just call it holy, so as to astound to set us to wonder that we would grow still and we would listen. So here's a spiritual homework assignment. Turn off your television. Get up out of that chair. Go play in the dirt. Take a swim. Sleep a night under the stars. Take a break from the pixelated screens. Your mind and your heart, your words and your thoughts will all be better for it if you do those things. The books of Brendan Manning, an old alcoholic saint, now gone for 10 years, continue to sustain me. His story is grace, 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 and more grace all the way down. Because that's what we need most. It's what he needed most. A favorite parable of his included in at least two of his many books is about a devout Jewish couple who after many trials and losses are finally blessed with a son. And they name him Mordecai. And he is rambunctious. He is wild. The sun and the moon are his friends. The woods are his home. He grew until it was time for him to go off to synagogue school and to learn the word of God. The day of his first studies, however, he didn't show up for class. And they found him out in the woods, swimming in a lake, climbing trees. It was a scandal for such a devout couple. And the whole village noticed that this little boy was absent from synagogue school. What were they to do? Manning says, well, they called a behavior modificationist to attempt to modify Mordecai. What's a mouthful. Behavior modificationist to attempt to modify Mordecai. And a psychoanalyst to analyze him. But he was untamable. 
He couldn't sit still in class. He was always out wild in the wild. And it was then that a great rabbi visited their village. And Mordecai's parents went to see him. And they told this great rabbi about their trials with their boy. That they didn't know what to do. They wanted him to learn the word of God. But he he just wouldn't go to class. And this great rabbi said, bring the boy to me. And they did. And little Mordecai came in. And the great rabbi stood up from his chair in the parlor. And he was like a giant lion or a bear just towering over little Mordecai. And he says, boy... Come to me. Trembling and shaking, Mordecai walks toward the rabbi. And just as he gets to him, the rabbi reaches down and grabs him up in his massive arms and pulls him to his chest and holds his head against his heart and just holds him. For the longest time. And he put him down. The next day, Mordecai went to synagogue school. And as soon as the bell rang, he went to the woods. And he did it the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. Manning says, and the Word of God became one with the words of the lake. And the Word of God became one with the words of the trees. And Mordecai himself grew to become a great man. And people who were seized with panic or fear came to him and they found peace. People who were without comfort came to him and they found solace. People with no exits came to him and found a way out. And when they came to him and asked how he had such power, he said, I learned to hear the Word of God when the great rabbi held me silently against his heart. And now I hear the Word of God. Everywhere. And that brings me back to Walden Pond. Right where we began. Thoreau said this. And I read it to you eight weeks ago. And I'll finish it with it here. Sometimes. On a summer morning I sit in my sunny doorway. From sunrise till noon. Wrapped in a reverie. Amidst the pines and the hickories and the sumacs in undisturbed solitude and stillness. While the birds sing or flit noiseless through the house until by the sun falling in at my west window I am reminded of the lapse of time. I grow in these seasons like corn in the night. This is not time subtracted from my life but so much over and above. Oh, to have such clarity such calm to be serene like the stillness of a lake when there is not a breath of wind there the depths are revealed as all the world goes by there I am restful for silence is the communion of the soul